0: Like you put together your own Ocean's Eleven team, and it's like, they're like, yeah, this is this is Rick. He's the demo expert, and I'm George Clooney. I'm the one who plans it all, and and this is and this is Matt Damon, and he's like the sleight of hand guy. And then, well, hey, wait, George, who the fuck's that guy? That's Andy. What's his specialty? Common.
1: <laughs> I don't really see how that's relevant to this heist. No, no, no. He's really important. We're gonna need him for the heist. <laughs> We're, like, being pursued by uh, <laughs> security personnel I just come in their faces. <laughs> yeah, He's a wild card. He's Joe Distractor. I think we
0: could do this in a different way. We don't need this guy to do this. He's a quick finisher, sure, but he still
1: has to drop his pants and, like, <laughs> he's a liability. Yeah. Also, you're just... very memorable. Also, you just said he's a wild card. Like, what's he going to do? <laughs> Shouldn't he just be coming? What else is he going to do? <laughs> you never know. George Clooney, you're kind of a fucking idiot. Danny Ocean, whatever your fucking name is in that stupid movie. Danny Ocean, my favorite singer.
0: Hey, by the way, we're still we're recording. Oh, fuck. I don't know how to work these things because, uh, oh, oh, geez, let's get it. Hey, this is a new show. Welcome to Tales from the Bunker. I'm Art. And this guy right here, he's the he's the inspiration for the Mucinex ad campaign. That's Andy. Just call me Booger. (laughs) (laughs) Now, <laughs> this is a new new programming to hit the Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast feed.
1: A new show called Tales from the Bunker. We're taking it back from Mr. Bunker. Look, we're nobody's, we're nobody's I don't know, hired help. We're nobody's, yeah. we've never helped a person we're in a day in our lives. we being
0: abducted week in and week out, being forced to do what Mr. Bunker wants to do. So Annie and I said to ourselves, we got together, we put our little
1: noggins together. Yeah. We did. We touched our brains. That's, you know... If you really want touched to... Touched tips. If you really want to get, like, a connection with a person, you've got to touch foreheads.
0: we like two navvies from the Avatars movies. I touched my tail penis to your head. And we linked penises or whatever they do in that movie. <laughs> you've seen it.
1: Yeah, it's where you so, see, We each stuck our own... So what we did is we each stuck our own dicks in the other one's head to create a mental connection. It was really cool.
0: And we said to ourselves, let's fucking... Take back the bunker, make it our own, do our own topic, and take over at least half this feed.
1: Yeah, we're uh we're egomaniacs. We are. You guys should know this by now. We're fucking usurping our the position here. Yeah. And so this is Tales from the Bunker where we're in
0: charge. We're seizing back the means of bunk bunkduction. Bunktion. And um and we're 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 doing what we want to do. We're talking about topics we want to talk about
1: that. Mr. Bunker is like, no, I don't want to talk about that stuff.
0: It's like I don't give a fuck. I don't want to talk about this cool shit.
1: Yeah, we want to talk about things that are interesting, and not things that are boring. Like, right. like oh, who who killed Carol Channing? Because Carol Channing was absolutely murdered <laughs> and didn't die of old age.
0: That being said, you know this is a new show, and we'll get into it. And you know we're we're getting into it today with different topics, but Bunk Funkers. You know, we did. We had to negotiate with Mr. Bunker. We're renting the bunker today, so that's kind of why we're trying to figure out how the some of the podcast equipment works. In a, in a way, we
1: paid Mr. Bunker so that we could abduct ourselves and come here. Hmm. But let me tell you, we're getting a hell of a rate. We're getting a great rate. We are getting a great rate because we we are expert negotiators. And I don't know if you beefers know that about us, but. Yeah. We drive a hard bargain. He was like, okay, I'll give it to you for like 50 bucks flat. I said, fuck you. Five bucks a minute. Right. We're not stupid fucking idiots. We know how this works. Five bucks a minute. You can't fill a
0: fast one on us bunker. We'll pay you five bucks a minute. How about that? Less monies.
1: Yeah. And he was like, are you guys sh- like, was like, like he, you guys- he's like, you know, you'll blow my rate after 11 minutes, right? And we were like, fuck. I'm not blowing you, sick fuck. We're like, don't try to play your mind games with us, bunker. Five bucks a minute. Like it or lump it. <laughs> like it or lump it. And I took a shit in the trash can. FYI. Well, of course, he's not going to argue with that. Can't
0: argue with it. You already did it. Yeah. So it's there, stinking, festering. Yeah. Speaking of which, that's the inaugural topic for Tales from the Bunker, Andy. Something that... My shit in the trash can. But much like your dookie that you took in that fucking trash can. Yeah. Today's topic. It involves something that sits and festers like a dookie. And the smell permeates the room. Slowly at first. you, You sniff it and you think to yourself, that can't be shit. Is that shit? That might be shit.
1: Did a garbage truck carrying only corned beef just drive by here?
0: (laughs) And then slowly but surely, it becomes realized to you that yes, there is a festering pile of shit. But maybe you don't think it's shit. Maybe you think it's something else. You try to cover it up with all these sweet perfumes. I don't know. This analogy is getting away from me. There's going to be lots of analogies that get away from us. We're talking about Andy. What? You think that's expected at this point? Is that something that's expected at this point? For Art to go off on a crazy analogous tangent that somehow gets away from him and he has to go, well, maybe that was a bad example.
1: <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to make things work. You went real deep into it and then you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> anyway.
0: <laughs> Puts two fingers together and says, but I'm sorry. Nuzzles your neck. Ooh. <laughs> Rar. XD. <laughs> We're talking about the king in yellow. Whoa, the
1: king in yellow. This is such a fucking Louis Louis XIV. No. Oh.
0: No, Andy. It's, it's a work of early American Gothic horror, but some don't consider it horror, but it. You know, generally lumped in with horror yeah that um, has permeated to a lot of different mediums mm. especially today um, yeah I'm aware of one medium I think before we jump in though we gotta I mean there's some discussion to have um, Bunkfunker's Tales from the Bunker is gonna be way more loose right you might think that's not possible given how the main <laughs> generally acts but this is gonna be way more loose Yellow King Carcosa bye bye Tell me the story of this. We have a bit from back in our day, right? That um, we were we were kind of obsessed with saying "Yellow King Carcosa"
1: by right involves a friend of the show. Yep, Matt Cochran. Matt Cochran. Um, So Matt was, uh, yeah, I got invited along with Ian Hamilton know Sullivan Hamilton famous yuck nemesis of this show uh to to do a podcast um I forget exactly what it was but I think Matt did podcasts from like a bunch of different college campuses and this was one that happened at Northwestern's campus outside of Chicago uh years and years ago and this is one of the things that came up I mean it was at the height of uh True Detective. True Detective season one. Which we will talk about. We're going to talk a lot about.
0: We will talk about it.
1: But it was at the height of True Detective season one. So there were a lot of True Detective related bits in this podcast. The podcast was was very long. And one of them was saying like, oh, Yellow King. Oh, it's the Yellow King. Carcosa. We're in Carcosa. Bye. So what's your. Because I think this was related to some kind of like other bit that Mm -hmm. was popular with me at the time of like doing like, oh, okay. Bye. Probably our friend Skylar, yeah. Probably related to Pusheen. Right. Um, So Skylar Weinberg probably had a hand in this. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was also like from that podcast, you know, you know, I said something about how Woody Harrelson says in that one episode, he's going to skull fuck his walk. Skull fuck you. Skull fuck you. So skull fucking was a big part of that. talk about.
0: Who walks that fucking
1: Walk
0: that fucking slow to the car. rushed, Mom.
1: Gonna go through some records. Skull you. So skull was also a big one. Yeah.
0: From that So what's your what's your familiarity with the King in Yellow? How much do you know about it? What's your? I mean, give give me 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 some background. Come on, buddy.
1: Let me lay it on me. Well, as far as I understand it, and this is drawing from memory from around the time you know, it's like I obviously was aware that. um the first season of true detective was inspired heavily by the king in yellow, or at least Nick Pizzolatto, who was the writer pizza latte (laughs) pizza, a lot of pizza. Mm -hmm. Um, he was inspired by the king in yellow and that influenced a lot of the, um, choices that he made in writing true detective season one. Um, I am also aware that, What, The King in Yellow is sort of a precursor type of thing to the same sort of genre that Lovecraft wrote in. So it's along those same, I think that, uh, what, like sort of that existential horror type of uh, genre is by some people seen The King in Yellow as like a proto version of that genre that was sort of, uh, I guess, maybe most well defined by hp lovecraft you're his- uh, yeah you're hitting the the fucking
0: uh you you, you you're pale gross face <laughs> maybe you're wearing the king's mask already <laughs> so- because you're hitting it right on the they're hitting the nail right on the head my friend you're a gross disgusting person yeah you fit in but you're right
1: you're all correct the history I'm, is right i i i we'll I, go through it I don't think I remember a lot about the plot. I didn't read the You've King in Yellow. The king and I've Yellow. never read The King in Yellow. I, I I had considered it at the time uh when True Detective was on. Um, but I don't I don't I didn't ever actually read The King in Yellow. Um but I think it's if I'm remembering right, the the plot is like like you said, the mask of the King. It's like somebody hidden in plain sight. Who is actually like the, uh, I don't know, the conduit to this like, m- I don't know, mythical figure of the king in yellow or something like that. Well, there's a lot.
0: Um, yeah. There's a lot to touch on. We will go through the stories that did create the mythos of the king in yellow. And oh, Hastor And Carcassa And... Uh, the Yellow King, and, and again, I wanted to talk about that bit because I think throughout this episode- We're going to be doing a lot of- We're going to be doing Carcosa, a lot of- Carcosa, bye. Carcosa, Yellow King. Yellow King. Because um, it's fun. Um, <laughs> Salad. If you haven't turned the show off already, I'm sure that most of you have, you probably should. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> this is your chance to turn it off. Because <laughs> what we're about to tell you will spread through you and ruin your life like a virus. Wow. As if the show hasn't already. But it's likely too late. This podcast is like The King in Yellow. has infected the minds of people everywhere. I mean, let's be real. People, probably good, honest people. Good people. You know, the Jeremy's of the world. Who before this podcast were totally normal functioning members of society. But now, what's I'm talking about? Open-faced toilets. They go, oh, well, what do you want for dinner, honey?
2: Well, enchilada.
0: They're infected by our fucking bullshit. Yeah. We've and ruined so many lives. We are. <clears throat> I think by the end of the show, we need to discuss, are we kings in yellow? Wow. Have we brought the bunk
1: Is the bunker version of Carcosa? Wow. There's so much to unpack here. Well, my clothes are robes, and they are stained with piss.
0: <laughs> I mean... I like to imagine that there's gotta be support groups out there for significant others who have been affected by Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. Like, like yeah, my my partner listens to that show and they won't shut up about it. Like
1: I think um <laughs> recently they will the, not stop talking about recent, owls. Recently in the bunker Discord, which is uh the gathering place for our proud patrons of this show, yeah, um one of our beloved bunk funkers, the Paul the suck my ass it smells guy. <laughs> yeah. Mentioned to uh, <laughs> listening to this podcast and uh his partner asking, um is all they do something like something to the effect of is all they do talk about like make dick and make dick jokes. Make dick and cum jokes. Yeah. And he said no, there's also some fart jokes. Well there's jokes. also fart jokes. Occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> so, so don't forget that. Yeah. Which then I think his partner left
0: the room. That's probably for the best. And Bunkers who are listening to this, I really want you to think about that. That's the thesis of this, right? That's the hypothesis that I want to test: is, is this show a King in Yellow kind Mm. of thing? Is it infecting people's minds? What are we doing as creators and as artists? Because let's get into it. What is The King in Yellow? Like you sort of mentioned, Andy, The King in Yellow is a book, but it's not a normal book as I understand it, which has like a cover and then pages and then, Over the course of the book, tells a story. No, this is a book of short stories. Did you know that? Oh. There's 10 short stories. Okay. They're not all short stories. Actually, some are poems. So it's a weird book in and of itself. Um, Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now it's jogging my memory. It was written by American writer Robert W. Chambers and was first published in uh, 1895. So it's kind of old. Quite old. The book is named after a play which the uh, same title, uh, with the same title. So there's a play in the lore of the book called The King in Yellow, which uh, recurs as like a motif through some of the stories, but not all of them. I'll probably mention this later in the script multiple times, but like only the first four stories, they're the only things that actually build the whole mythos. Everything else is like, um, it's like love poems. Robert W. Chambers, like he only wrote these like four horror stories and then he just wrote like romantic fiction the rest of his life. It's kind of weird. It's a weird dude in a weird book. But um, like I said, in the world of the book's lore, the play The King in Yellow is known for its influence and effect on the inhabitants of this world. Um, and we'll talk about that, what that world looks like. The King in Yellow is actually a banned book. It's not like a legal, like a Fahrenheit 451 sense. It's just widely known that the play, when you read it or you watch it, it's known to cause the readers to change in ways that are difficult to understand. We'll talk, we'll talk on this again. This, like you said, it did influence Lovecraft a lot and it did spawn this, this, um, this basically what is like early cosmic horror, the fear of the unknown, existential horror, that kind of stuff. Really <laughs> cool. And And I think really when you start listening to the stories, which I'm going to, I'm going to explain the plot of the first stories. I still think it's worth reading them, but I'm going to explain them. And you're going to see, like, man, it's crazy to think that this came out in 1895. It's crazy to think.
1: You don't think of the 1890s as, like, spawning the stuff I'm about to tell you. And you said something that sort of <clears throat> made me think like that. Boy, so they am wearing glasses. The idea, yeah, it's, you sound much smarter than usual. Mm-hmm. The, the, the play, The King in Yellow, that's in there that's supposed to affect people, didn't that become the thing, like, culturally, is that people then started to say, like, oh, if you read this book, The King in Yellow, mm-hmm. you'll have the effects from the play carries over onto you. You're affected the same way as the people in the story. You're getting ahead of me. Okay. Um, oh, shut up. No, that's okay.
0: You can chime in. This is looser. It's looser. a looser format, Andy. <laughs> it's loose. Tales
1: it's loose. from the Wunker is loose. Yeah, Tales from the Wunger. We're going to get crazy. Oh, baby. But I'm that's taking beautiful. my clothes
0: off. Uh, the book is described as weird fantasy more than existential horror, but I, I don't know. I kind of disagree with that point. I think this is, uh, there's some
1: horror. What, what do you draw the line? What, what does it mean to be weird fantasy? Um, like not classical fantasy? Two, like of, elves the, and two of the, two of the stories
0: are set in a futuristic America. Okay. So the book is written in 1895. There's, there are stories set in the 1920s, okay. which is from Robert W. Chambers' point of view, the future. Right. But as we know, because we're, so, we're like 200 or we're 100 years ahead, um, you know, that's not the case, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we know that the 1920s we can,
1: didn't. We can judge
0: his predictions about the future. Right. He's, you know, but uh, it is weird fantasy because the way that the books are written are kind of like these narrators having like weird experiences that might be dreams, but they're kind of not. Mm. I say, though, that this is it's it's existential horror. And you're going to see some of these stories. And a great deal of The King in Yellow deals with artists Mm. like us, self-absorbed
1: fucks
0: (laughs) like us, who don't know when to stop. Just like like us. us. Yeah. Going into madness.
1: Like us. Like
0: us. So let's get into these fucking stories, man. These are so fun. Like I said, only the first four stories in the book deal with The King in Yellow and Carcosa and all that stuff. Carcosa, bye. Which is kind of crazy, man. Four stories this dude wrote and he spawned. He had so much influence. He wrote four little stories. So much influence. It's crazy. There's 10 stories in the book, roughly. Some are just poetry, like I said. But the first are the genesis for all this sweet, sweet lore. And the rest are romantic fiction. Like, there's a story about time-traveling lovers. It's like, ugh. I mean, there's some of the other stories reference <clears throat> things. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, they, they, they don't fit the same mold. It's a weird book. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm curious what possessed this guy to write the book this way and um, and to publish it. So I'm going to recap these first four stories because they're really good, and encourage you, beefers. Even though I'm going to recap them, go read the book. It's free. You could go find it on the Gutenberg online on the Gutenberg. Go find it on the Gutenberg, dude. Hey, go get one of those kids of Gutenberg. Like an old old lady. Like, I don't know how to... I don't know what the kids these days are into. They still into the Gutenberg? Your kid's into that Gutenberg still. It feels like a Simpsons bit where they would have like an old man and he'd be like, back in my day. You know what I'm saying? Can you build a Simpsons bit off that premise? What do you think?
1: Yeah, sure. Like what character? Some character would be like, get yourself a Gutenberg. Abe Simpson? Yeah. In my day, all the books were free on the Gutenberg
0: let's eh. see maybe bill oakley could punch it up time. yeah punch it up bill oakley <laughs> let's start with the first one i like this one a lot i'm gonna tell you what my favorites are though but i like this one a lot this is I like favorite. all four
1: not your favorite though but it's not
0: my favorite okay i like all four though got it it's called the repair of reputations
1: <clears throat> which we could use yeah no oh, kidding.
0: this is set in new york city in the 1920s but remember the story was published 25 years before 1920 So this story is technically, it's like a future piece. So the future is kind of weird. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. A lot of, there's a lot of weird like race stuff, which, you know, I don't know what that is, but
1: when you say weird, how do you mean weird?
0: It's just like, it's a weird version of the world where there's like this new government in charge and they have all these policies for stuff and, um, I'm just going to kind of give you the beats, though. The story centers around a man named Hildred Castain. Great fucking name. Yeah, this is a good name. Hildred Castain. Who suffers a bad head injury when he falls off a horse. Ugh.
1: Again, horses are dangerous. Good man. way to suffer an injury. Is it? Great name. Good injury. <laughs> very cool. Suffered a head injury falling from a horse.
0: Sounds very cool. Well, you famously, you had a son who... um, was a horse thief yeah one of my children fuck i need a lore master to help me remember what andy's son's name was it started with a t lore masters out there help us out post it it's lore in one master of the episodes. Alert. it's in one of the episodes <laughs> we need a lore master stat hildred is thus a very unreliable narrator right so he's okay that's that's what's so fun about these stories is we can't trust him because of his head injury well he had a head injury and he's narrating. So right. he's kind of unreliable. Right. <clears throat> he describes a strange future of America that is the 1920s, according to a guy in the 1900s. Right. But anyway, like I said, Castain reads the play, The King in Yellow. Looking, for the first time, and then slowly delves into utter madness as a result. He ends up meeting a professional blackmailer who then convinces Hildred that he should create a plot to overthrow the U.S. government and install a monarchy based on the imperial bloodline
1: of the kingdom of Carcosa. Okay. Is, does Carcosa? <laughs> I guess Andy just got interested. Does it bookers. come in? Is it part of the play? Yes. Or is this like Carcosa, like a fictional land? Both. Okay. But it's part of the play. Both. So like Hildred would have known both about Carcosa. Yeah, both. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that fucking explanation. It's everything, dude. It's everything. You're
0: going to have a lot of trouble with this, but it's everything. Everything is everything, dude. Right. From the play. Right. They believe that the play's influence on the world of the book has spread enough that Hildred will be, be welcomed as king. So him and this guy are talking and they're like, "We're gonna. everyone's going to keep reading this fucking book. And then everyone's going to understand that we need to impose a monarchy based on Carcosa. They're going fucking crazy. They're having delusions. Right. Um, soon enough, the madness takes hold of Hildred. He falls further and further into their delusion, turning against everyone around him including at one point wanting to put his own cousin to death because Hildred believed his cousin was next in line for the throne. Oh, we got a succession plot, right? Before the kingdom's even established. So that's where I'll, I'm not going to spoil it the rest right. of the story, but that's already you could see, right? This, this story is the lead story for a reason. You can see how well it draws upon the mythos of the yellow king and how many subsequent works of fiction and whatnot draw directly from this story of alone. I mean, the motifs expressed of egotism, paranoia, delusion of chasing that this fictional paradise mm-hmm. um, and the madness it brings are seen throughout the IRL, King in Yellow, the book, King right. in Yellow, not the play. But those are motifs, right? This lead story kicks it off so well. You have a story of a man going further and further into madness by reading this play, becoming obsessed with this idea. Um, This egotism, this paranoia. Very, it's very horror, right? Yeah. You can already see. It's like a Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah. It definitely has a very Twilight zone feel. The next one, The Mask. Um, I like The Mask a lot, but still not my favorite. Not your favorite. <laughs> this story centers around an artist named Alec. Alec has a circle of friends who he cherishes deeply. Aw. One of these friends mm, is must be Boris. Nice boris
1: boris who is
0: wealthy and a total fucking chad oh awesome boris fucking messes around with chemicals and shit he's so fucking cool god he sounds awesome And he's rich and he like funds weird experiments in art (laughs) and chemistry oh god he's such a fucking chad oh god he fucking
1: rules boris is awesome (laughs) boris fucking rules greatest character i've ever heard of just imagine if you if somebody was describing you and they were like oh yeah he fu- he's rich, so he funds experimental art and experiments in chemistry. It'd be like you'd be like, "What the fuck? That's awesome! Yeah, dangerous like, experiments in chemistry." He's like a
0: badass Chad Willy Wonka, dude. Right. Uh, and it was like, "Why do you need to make new fucking ways to drink soda? Like, isn't that enough?" No, no, no. It needs to like fucking fizzy. But you like lift up fizzy lifting drinks and you yeah. burp, and then it it's fucking cool. It's like Trust why is it on this? Why do you need a fucking lake of chocolate? Why is that? I, I'm Boris, dude. Fucking need to do it. Boris Wonka. Boris Wonka. <laughs> um, Boris discovers a new chemical. Okay. This is how fucking he's like he's like Bob Lazar. He's finger banging. <laughs> yeah. He's discovering chemical. Finger banging Boris. This new element can turn other objects into rose marble. Oh shit! So you can, like dip a flower and it turns. It's into- like alchemy. It's alchemy.
1: Yes, exactly. But it turns stuff into marble, not gold. Like it will retain its original yeah. quality. So like you said, a rose, it would look like a rose, but it would be made completely of rose marble. Exactly. Oh shit. Alec has the hots for one of the other
0: friends in their group, Genevieve. Right. And so does Boris.
1: God. Yeah. Genevieve sounds hot as fuck.
0: Genevieve is hot as fuck. And so they both courted her. Alec Have and Have you Boris. ever met
1: Genevieve that wasn't hot as fuck? No. <laughs> Genuinely, no. Genuinely. It's impossible. <laughs> If you're out there and your name is Genevieve, you're so fucking hot. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to change my name to Genevieve. Oh, you're so fucking hot. So I'm going to be hot, too. Yeah. Um, They both court her, but she chooses Boris. Whoa, whoa. She was dating them both at the same no, time? No, they both courted her. Oh, she they were both making, making advances. Attempts at her. Yeah. And she chose They're to date like, Boris. They're both like, yo, what's up,
0: girl? Like, I'm into yeah. you. Are you into me? You want to fucking you wanna get down? And she chooses Boris because, well, Alec's kind of a beta cuck. Right. Our Alec is for sure a beta cuck. And, and quite frankly, I'm going to be honest, he does not have the power to turn things into statues. But right. Boris does. So, you know, Genevieve, make the right choice here? Probably.
1: So far, Alec has shown us very little in the way of redeemable qualities. All three of them,
0: and their friend Jack, but he's not important, are chilling... <laughs> At Boris's badass estate in France. They're just fucking doing art and they're chilling and they're just like
1: having a good time. Yeah. And Boris is like turning shit into statues. Goddamn. And it's just fucking dope. Goddamn. He's like a fucking King Midas, modern day King Midas. He literally
0: is. He has like a whole fucking pool of this like weird liquid chemical that turns stuff into statues and they're just hanging out, chilling, probably eating cheese and wine and shit. Goddamn. Alec is painting Genevieve's boudoir, uh, which is very simp and he probably wishes he was banging her boudoir. You (laughs) know what I'm
1: saying? Yeah, Boris is like, can you hurry up painting? Because I need to fuck Genevieve. I need to fuck Genevieve in the boudoir. Can you get done painting it? Yeah.
0: But Alec discovers that Boris owns a copy of the play, The King in Yellow, at the estate. Okay. And then he reads it. Alec does. Right. It's believed that Boris may have discovered the marble element from the play, having read it himself. Afterward, Alec descends into madness. His face, he becomes so sickly. His face becomes pale. So pale, it looks like he's wearing a mask. The very same mask, a white mask, from the play that the king in yellow is often seen wearing and depicted as wearing, right? The king in yellow is often depicted as wearing this white mask and these flowing yellow robes. Um... Sometimes in the play, he's referred to as the stranger, which I'll mention in a little bit. There's, I'll mention this again later on in the show, but there's only two references to the actual play of The King in Yellow in the book, The King
1: in Yellow. We only ever get two excerpts from the play. That's it. So it's a lot of people talking about the play without us actually seeing anything in the play. Right. Right.
0: Alec becomes sick and delirious and he develops a fever. Um, Genevieve also reads the play and then eventually develops a drug addiction and needs drugs to sleep. Oh, fuck. Um, She loses her mind completely and throws herself into a pool of the marble statue liquid, which turns her into a marble statue. Wow. But goddamn, what a hot statue. Very hot statue. But Boris is so distraught over this fact that he kills himself and leaves all of his money and the estate and the statue of Genevieve, which is weird, um because that's i mean like that's a very weird thing it's a human it's also a statue he's like here you go part of my estate planning
1: own this statue of our friend it's like who is also a living person maybe how did he have time to change his will how long was he contemplating the suicide i don't know you gotta read the book
0: <laughs> um he leaves all of that to alec and the story ends with alec coming out of his fever Learning everything I just told you. Alec isn't privy to all this. He's in like a fever dream. Right. He learns all this stuff. And also, it turns out, the marble statue effect wears off and Genevieve returns to normal. And she and Alec become lovers. Oh, shit. So it begs the question. Wow. The moral of the story is patience pays off. Right. Alec fully embracing the mask of the king in yellow gets everything he ever wanted. But he leaves behind a trail of death, madness mm. plays into those themes of egotism, right. right? This struggling artist who just can't seem to win because he's
1: a beta cuck. You can have, which is not
0: something I think you or I can like identify with. I have a very hard time identifying
1: with yeah, that. Yeah, I can't. I can't understand any beta cucks because I just am not. I'm a Boris. Yeah, I'm. I've seen myself as probably like two Borises strapped together <laughs> inside of you are two Borises, and they're both Chads. <laughs> There's no conflict. Zero conflict.
0: (laughs) So you can have everything
1: you want, but you just have to deal with the consequences of it ruining every every other people's lives. You can get into paradise. but You just have to fucking
0: destroy everyone around you to get there. Yeah. A lot of themes. All right. Here's my favorite. In the Court of the Dragon. This is very creepy. I think this is the scariest one. This is the third this is the third story. I think it's the scariest one. Um, it's very, It's. it feels like a horror movie. An unnamed narrator reads the play The King in Yellow and mm-hmm. is deeply disturbed by it. He's so disturbed by it that he goes and attends his local church to help clear his head and set his mind right. I mean, we've all been there. You read something super disturbing. You listen to this podcast.
1: You need to go to a church. The to first fucking, thing you do is go to the I church. I got to cleanse my soul. I got to go do a confession, <laughs> yeah. a couple Hail Marys. I know I didn't do anything while listening to this podcast other than listen to it, but yeah, I do need to confess. <laughs> Father, forgive me. Bribes in has been
0: eight days since my last confession. Okay, what is your confession, my son? I listen my to, child. I listen to Mr. Bucket's conspiracy Day podcast again, and I won't stop talking about open face toilets in public.
1: I keep going up to people and being like, I'm a Chad. I, I saw someone named Genevieve, and I told her that she was so hot. <laughs>
0: Anyway, so he heads to church to help clear his head, set his mind right. While he's um, while he's there in his seat, uh, he's awaiting for the sermon to start. The narrator is listening to the church organist play, and he thinks to himself, "How like he's like, wow, this organist is really good. He's like, fuck, damn, this organist is really good. How the fuck do they get so good? Like, this is great, dude. Fuck, goddamn, this is some good what ass good, music.
1: What a good fucking organist. I gotta tell you, Reverend, this fucking organist at your church gotta pay them double. Fucking incredible."
0: He's sitting there, he's thinking about the organist, then he notices the music suddenly shifts from like this uplifting church music, you know, a hymn, to something dark, sinister, creepy. As it goes on, they liken it to the song, the, the, the song to the sound of someone being hunted across the pedals of the organ. Very creepy description. Yeah. The narrator starts to look around. Is anyone else noticing how weird the music just got? Like, is it just me? But no one else in the in the church seems to mind. Then the priest shows up. He starts the sermon, and the music ends. The priest starts giving his sermon, and it's on the immortality of the human soul. He starts giving the sermon on that subject. The narrator's listening, then he notices out the corner of his eye, the organist. He leaves. Um, Passing along the gallery, you know, like typically, sometimes in some churches, organ might be on the top. There's like a little gallery at the top where the organist. He's right. He's watching the organist leave the church, and he's relieved because he's like that organist was playing some weird, creepy music. It's freaking him out. He's like, "Oof, glad that guy's gone." Sermon continues. Daenerys' eyes wander a bit. Starts glazing. He goes to that gallery again. There he sees the organist passing by in the same direction okay. as if they teleported back to the previous position and walked back out again. Right. Well, the organist who is this like creepy pale person. Okay. Suddenly looks at the narrator, shoots him a look of pure hatred before walking out, leaving the narrator feeling shocked and disturbed. The narrator thinks to himself, did I do something to upset them? Maybe I'm just misjudging the situation. Mm -hmm. This is really a story about like people who live with anxiety
1: every day. Maybe that's why I like it so much. It's just like, did I do something to upset this person? This is also a little bit about ego though too, right? A little bit. Where it's like everything doesn't involve you. Main character syndrome. Right.
0: Eventually the sermon ends. The narrator goes outside to get some air where he again sees this creepy, hateful organist passed by giving him fucking dagger eyes. yeah God damn this narrator is thinking to himself, did I do something to this guy? Did some shit go down between us back in the day? What the fuck is his deal? I mean this, this 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 organist is this creepy, pale, hateful, just like ugh, looking dude like it's creepy, sinister A uh, real Nick Simon type real Nick Simon type. The narrator leaves and walks across town. As he's walking, the fucking organist is there. Every corner he turns, there's the organist. He's following him. Yeah. Every path he goes down, the organist. This shit is getting weird. The narrator then calls a cab and takes it home, where he, guessed it, encounters the organist again. At his home? At his home. Inside? Like, I think outside. Oh, okay. His home is like called the Court of the Dragon or something. It's like the name of the show or the right. name of the, the story. Right. Um, suddenly, the narrator awakes. to The sound of scraping chairs. They suppose, oh, I just fell asleep. It was all a dream. I fell asleep during the sermon and looked to see the organist passing along the gallery in the opposite direction as usual. As they walk out of the church, they deduce that their soul was being hunted through the court of the dragon by the organist and they feel relieved at their safety, right? They're like, oh, it was all just a weird dream. Yeah. Yeah. this weird organist, whatever. Then, all of a sudden, a blare from the organ and a bright flash of light break out overhead. As the light fades, the narrator raises their head to the sky to see black stars in the sky, feels the sea breeze of the Lake of Holly and sees the moon dripping with spray while the towers of Carcosa rise behind it. Then an overwhelming presence envelops them like flames while they hear the king in yellow himself say, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Blackout. Damn. Creepy, huh? Yeah. It's a creepy one. That is a creepy one. What do you think?
1: You'd like to be changed, but
0: you'd like to be chased around by a creepy pale man. Uh, yeah. Is that kind of how you feel naturally hanging out with me?
1: Yeah, no, I've paid to have a creepy pale man chase me around a hotel room. Was that just like a kink you have or something? Yeah. Sorry, I'm just knocking shit over here. Ah. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Jesus Christ, calm down. <laughs> he's so he's so annoyed by Carcosa.
0: Bye, y'all gang. Well, let's get into the last one here, Andy, because I think speaking of creepy pale men, you're gonna like this. One. Court of the Dragon was your favorite, though. Yeah. This one's very pulpy, but it's still really good. It's probably the most, like, this is a horror story. Right. Kind of thing, right? What's that, this one the called? Court of the Dragon is just creepy. It's called The Yellow Sign. The Yellow Sign. The yellow Sign. Okay. The final story that has anything to do with the spooky mythos of the King in Yellow and the rest of the stories after this are all, like, surreal, weird love stories and poems, like we said. The story centers around a narrator called Mr. Scott, who is an artist in New York City. He often sees this creepy fucking guy called The Watchman who works in the church courtyard outside his window in his studio. Okay This guy looks like a disgusting maggot. <laughs> Here's the actual description from the book of this guy. quote "Whatever it was about the man that repelled me, I do did not know, but the impression of a plump white graveworm was so intense and nauseating. That I must have shown it to my expression, for he turned his puffy face away with a movement which made me think of a disturbed grub in a chestnut. (laughs)
1: What an insult, dude. What a fucking description. You remind me of a grub in a chestnut. Oh my God. Can you
0: imagine laying that insult down on somebody? If
1: somebody said that to me, I would be like, oh. (laughs) You think about it. Okay. Forever. (laughs) Am I good or bad? That's a burrowing insult right there. Yeah, that's a a thinker.
0: Scott is repulsed by this grub man, but then he goes back to painting his hot
1: babe lover and model Tessie. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. So fucking hot. Very hot. Have you ever met a Tessie that wasn't so fucking hot? Yeah, no, I haven't. Everyone named Tessie is a hot fucking babe. (laughs)
0: It's a hot Stacy looking for a Chad. Yep. Tessie then tells Scott she had a dream about him. Not a sexy one, though. Oh, fuck. One where he's alive in a coffin inside of a hearse being driven by the grub man. Oh, very creepy. That's a hell of a dream. Exactly. Later, they go for a walk out and about. And as they pass by the churchyard, the watchman asks Scott. Have you found the yellow sign? Which creeps Scott out, understandably. (laughs) It's a very creepy thing to say. Yeah. You're just walking down the street and then someone just goes, hey, hey, no, you seen the yellow sign? Have you found the yellow sign? Very creepy. A couple days go by and then later Tessie gives Scott a gift. It's a clasp. A clasp okay. is like a bracelet. If yes, you didn't know. <laughs> Made of black onyx with a strange yellow symbol on it. Unbeknownst to them, this is the yellow sign. Uh, Tessie says she found it the day she had the dream, the her dream. So some time go by, Scott injures his hands. He's unable to paint. So him and Tessie, he finds Tessie reading the play, The King in Yellow, despite not owning a copy, because it turns out Scott knew Hildred Castain from the first movie, first story. Okay. And he knows this play is bad news. Right. But the play calls to them both. And they read it. They start dissecting the play and discussing it in detail. They soon realize the symbol on the clasp is the yellow sign. About the moment that they make that realization, the watchman, the grub faced pale man, enters their room, possessed by the king in yellow. He has death touch and he rots the lock off the door and breaks in. Oh, whoa. Exactly. Now there's a superpower. Yeah. Tessie drops dead. Right there, out of fright. She instantly drops dead. The watchman seizes the clasp from Scott, and then the watchman crumples into the floor, a heap of dead flesh. Oh, shit. When help arrives, Scott is distraught, and they say the body of the watchman has been dead for multiple months. Wow. The story ends with Scott being taken away to an asylum in madness, praying for death. Very creepy. That's a good one. Very creepy. Very a pulpy, though. Very pulpy horror story. About this weird undead grub man. Yeah. Still creepy. Yeah, still creepy. But he was um, possessed
1: by the king in yellow.
0: So the next stories, I'll just go through them. He's possessed by the king in yellow. That's the Dem- Demoiselle D D Y is a time travel love story. The Prophet's Paradise. Um, some creepy prose poems that uh, are very similar to uh pose, prose found in the king in yellow. The Street of the Four Winds uh, is about an artist in Paris who is drawn to a neighbor's room by a cat. Uh, The Story of the First Shell is like a war story set in a Paris siege of 1870. The Street of Our Lady of the Fields, uh, Romantic American Bohemians in Paris. Rue Barret is a Romantic American Bohemians in Paris with a discordant ending that playfully reflects some of the tone of the first story. Again, nothing really... It's all just romantic, gothic, romantic. A lot of French stuff. He loves French stuff. He's super into French stuff. Very, very much a Francophile. What's super interesting about the book, the IRL book, The King in Yellow, is that we only get two excerpts. I said this earlier. Right. From the, in mythos, King in Yellow play. Uh, I'll read them to you now. For example, the first one comes through the repair. This is actually like in the dedication of the book. It's called Casilda's Song. It comes from act one, scene two of the play, The King in Yellow. (laughs) Right. Along the shore, the cloud waves break. Twin suns sink behind the lake. The shadows lengthen in Carcosa. Strange is the night where black stars rise and strange moons circle throughout the skies. But stranger still is lost Carcosa. Songs... That the Hades shall sing Where flap the tatters of the king Must die unheard in dim Carcosa Song of my soul My voice is dead Die thou unsung As tears unshed Shall dry and die In lost Carcosa (laughs)
2: The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily. You know, a lot can happen in 7 Minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts.
1: plot device in huge plot true detective huge plot device i mean that song tells you everything you need to
0: know really right you're talking about the king in yellow you're talking about kirkosa is this weird alien world where there's black stars in the sky and twin suns sink behind a lake shadows lengthen in this old lost decrepit city that's in some alien world um, and this is lost to time, right? Carcosa is lost to time. We right. it's 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 unobtainable. Right. That's just it's so it's fucking, like another dimension. Y- 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 are you not getting a lore boner? Warmasters, yeah. I hear have me a, out. I have
1: a lorection.
0: You should be getting a lore action. I am
1: the lorax, getting a lore action. Getting a little lore. I speak for the trees, and yeah, it gets me horny. I have a lore action. <laughs> So, as I said, in the short
0: story, The Mask, um, we get an excerpt from Act 1, Scene 2-D. This is, this is the excerpt. It's, it's like written a play, so there's like the character who's speaking and then their line. So, I'll say the whole everything. Okay. Camilla. You, sir, should unmask. Stranger. Indeed. Casilda. Indeed, it's time. We have all laid aside disguise, but you. Stranger. I wear no mask. Camilla, terrified. Aside to Casilda, no mask. No mask. Creepy. <laughs> That's it? They think this weird guy, this stranger, right. who I said is kind of like a stand-in for the King in Yellow, is wearing a mask. It's not. Right. He's just a weird, creepy, pale guy. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's just, those are all the excerpts are from Act 1. Okay. All we get is from act one because it's said that the stories described act one is quite ordinary, but it's when people in the book read act two that drives the reader mad with the irresistible revealed truths. The very banality and innocence of the first act only allowed the blow to fall afterward with more awful effect. Um, Play itself is like this virus. Jumping from host to host, driving them to insanity or death, but not before they must pass the infection on to someone else.
1: Kind of makes Uh. you wonder,
0: what possessed Robert Chambers to write such a book? Perhaps it was his artistic expression. Perhaps something else affecting his mind. What drove him to write King in Yellow? Did he have syphilis? Did he have syphilis? It's a good question, Andy. (laughs) Speaking of syphilis, let's talk about H.P. Lovecraft. Okay. Um, Like you mentioned, the King in Yellow is often associated with H.P. Lovecraft. However, uh, upon closer inspection, it doesn't really fit in with the source material that much. Obviously, the King in Yellow uh, influenced Lovecraft a lot. Um, but when you think of Lovecraft, you think of Cthulhu. You think right. of tentacle space deities, great ones. Yes. Also, his abhorrent racism right, uh, and anti-Semitism. We do think about that. Which, you know, <laughs> we don't need to maybe tarnish uh, this topic, Lovecraftian topic, separate the man from we don't the need to. Mythos. We don't need to
1: tarnish Chambers by right. including Lovecraft's racism and anti-Semitism. Which is really bad. Um, his virulent racism.
0: But the King in Yellow aligns with Lovecraft in that they were both a part of this sort of ethereal horror. Less spooky monster jumps out and gives you the poopy pants. More (laughs) like, what if, like, your friend and, you know, podcast co host, let's just say, They had this tunnel and every day they came home and they would dig in their tunnel. And over time, they just became so obsessed with digging in the tunnel. Why? Why is he always digging in this tunnel? Where is it going? Uh, No matter what, he just digs in the tunnel day in and day out. He ignores his friends and family. He just keeps digging in this tunnel all day, every day, never stopping until he dies. You know, that kind of situation.
1: Mm, Doesn't ring a bell for me. I don't have any connection to that type of behavior. It doesn't make sense to me. You don't uh, have a... It it seems like your person is just tunneling to be tunneling. Mm. I mean, I tunnel for other reasons. I mean, I do have a tunnel. That's true. I do have a tunnel. That you dig? That I dig every day and I ignore my family and friends to dig it. But it's got a good purpose. That's what I mean, though. It's like weird stuff like that. Like the fear of the
0: unknown is is what I would say is the connection between the two where it's less about like they never explain why a weird person would be obsessed with digging in a tunnel. It's just, this person's obsessed with digging in a tunnel. And right. that, in and of itself, your imagination will fill in the gaps, and whatever your imagination comes up with, is far worse than anything they could ever write. Right. That's the beauty of their horror. One of their big connections comes through Haster. Haster is sometimes represented as a tentacle elder god encircling the planet Aldebaran. Um, Haster first appeared in Ambrose Bierce's short story, Caesia the Shepherd in 1893, who was actually a uh, benign god of shepherds. I like to imagine the show Ed and Eddie. Rolf is a great old one, and all the Ed boys are stuck in Carcosa. <laughs> actually, now I think about that, that actually totally fucking works. I know that's a reference that you don't. get I don't it, get it. But someone out there knows Ed and Eddie, and someone out there is putting in the someone. connecting the dots. Ed and Eddie as a motif for the Yellow King fucking rules. Well, time to reboot it. Um, Ambrose Bierce was also the first to come up with the idea of Concar- of Carcosa. Oh. So actually, Robert W. Chambers drew from Ambrose Bierce. Oh, he's a fucking thief. He is. In his short story, An inhabitant of Carcosa, which details a man walking through an unfamiliar wilderness after experiencing a sickness, he encounters various creatures and people before coming to realize he is dead and wandering the ruins of the city of Carcosa. Ah, uh, okay. So Chambers was influenced by his works, which somewhat, somewhat explained on them. So much he, so much, somewhat expanded on them, right? By borrowing the names, and in, in turn, Lovecraft was heavily influenced by Chambers. Um. So here's an excerpt from Lovecraft's "The Whisper and the Darkness." I found myself faced by names and terms that I had heard elsewhere. In the most hideous of connections, Yugoth, Great Cthulhu, Yog, Shathoth, Ralath, Nearlothep, Azoth, Haster, Yan, Lang, The Lake of Holly, Bethmura, The Yellow Sign, Lumur Cathulos, Bran, and the Magnum Inominari, Inominad, Minamdom. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and was drawn back through nameless aeons and inconceivable dimensions of worlds of elder outer entity at which the crazed author of the Necronomicon had only guessed in the vaguest way. Mm. It is unclear from this quote if Lovecraft's Hastor is a person, a place, an object, maybe similar to the yellow sign, or a deity. The ambiguity is recurrent in Lovecraft's des- descriptions of mythic ent- entities. And there's debate over whether Lovecraft ever intended Hastur to be a part of the mythos at all. Um, You know, people obviously took the Lovecraft stuff and they've expanded it to just far beyond the realms of creepy. Yeah. Into like, oh, this is a big tentacle monster that comes out of the sea and does stuff.
1: (laughs) You know? Yeah. It does come out of the sea and do stuff.
0: It does. Um, here's another quote from Lovecraft. About the yellow sign, um, he wrote. Like he's talking about the yellow sign? Yes. After stumbling queerly upon the hellish and forbidden book of horrors, the two learn, among other hideous things which no sane mortal should know, that this talisman is indeed the nameless yellow sign, handed down from the accursed cult of Hastor, from primordial Carcosa, whereof the volume
1: treats. Okay. Creepy stuff. So, so Lovecraft is drawing directly a link between himself and Chambers' work. Yeah, he's heavily
0: influenced by it. You know, yeah. Lovecraft is writing in the nineteen twenties, I right? believe, late twenties. He was in Chambers' future, right? And so Chambers came. This that was ninety five, and then the first mention of Carcosa, which again, Carcosa is such a fun word. It is Carcosa by Carcosa by. Um, here we are in Carcosa. We're here in Carcosa. We're having a good time. Lost ruins. Weird shadows on the wall, black stars in the sky. We're staying at the instance. resort, all inclusive. All Carcosa, inclusive, Carcosa, yellow signs everywhere. I can't even cross the streets of Carcosa because all these signs are made of yellow. Too many signs. Can't tell when the cars are stopping or going. Proceed with caution.
1: You're in Carcosa. Bye.
0: everything's a yield sign. What the hell? Everything is a lane merge sign. I can't tell. We can't all yield at one time? Somebody's got to go.
1: Carcosa, please.
0: <laughs> um. Where are you where are you all going? We're going to cruise <laughs> Carcosa.
1: we
0: Carcosa cruise.
1: We're on a Carnival Carcosa cruise. <laughs> it's it's going to be cool. It's all inclusive.
0: No, there's a lot of drawing, dude. I mean, I think just it's it's very interesting. It's it's something that um you can see how it can be applied to multiple things, right? And let's get into that here. The Yellow King in medium and medium and film, True Detective, right. Probably. Big one. Arguably. I actually am going to make this argument. Okay. True Detective Season 1 is the greatest on-screen mythos adaptation of anything related to The King in Yellow or Carcosa of all time.
1: It's maybe the best series I've ever seen on TV. Wow. That's big. I'd be hard-pressed. I watched... You mean single season of television. Single season of television. Start to finish... I watched that live. We watched that together. So like, you know, this is back before everything was available all at once. You had to watch Sunday nights, baby. Was it Mondays? I I think it was Sunday nights. I'm pretty sure it was Sunday nights. Yeah. And we watched every week and I was riveted the entire time. How did we get into it? Did I start watching it and then I roped you into it or did you rope me into it? I feel like I roped you into it. I feel like that. I I feel like we saw it like we saw like trailer for it and i was like oh this looks interesting yeah and it was just like i don't know it was some of the way the the way they did the marketing for it was really good it was all good and it got it got me very interested in it and uh yeah we started watching it i mean it just it's like there was none of this like well let's see how the second episode goes kind of a thing it's like i was hooked right from the beginning and that episode where uh rust goes undercover that's probably the most riveting television I've ever watched. I agree. I have never watched a single episode of television
0: that actually had me on the edge of my seat and had my heart pounding. Everything, right. the cinematography, that was Carrie. Um, Fukunaga. Fuku- yeah. And
1: um, the guy that's, you know, like what, accused of grooming now. Or, oh, he was? Or some other sort of Jesus. sexual misconduct. Christ. Everybody's a shithead. Fucking Hollywood. Everybody's a shithead. Nick Pizzolate, we
0: talked about him already. Mm-hmm. He went on to write two more seasons, which quite frankly are just, they're not good. Um, I never saw the third one even.
1: I think there's a fourth coming out soon. Uh, you know, what I read though is that uh, Kerry Fukunaga mm-hmm. was like instrumental in shaping that first season. Because sure. huge. Nick Pizzolato wrote that script, but HBO wasn't ready to like turn everything over to him at that point. Mm-hmm. They wanted him to write it. But then they wanted it to go through like a standard TV process where the mm-hmm. director kind of shapes what the screenwriter writes, and so they worked together on this. And apparently, you know what I read is that Pizzolatto had a lot of ideas, and Fukunaga was like, "No, that's stupid."
0: Pizzolatto that. is
1: very into the King and
0: Yellow. You can look mm-hmm. up quotes from him, interviews. I mean, he really did his due diligence. But I think that, as much as I like all this stuff and I love the mythos. Yeah, translating it into the story they wanted to tell, which is one that it's one part crime drama, but also one part cosmic indifference, weaved in with this story of the Yellow King and this sort of like idea that these guys are. I'm trying not to spoil it. I really do want people to go watch True Detective because I have some stuff that spoils it. Yeah. But they're like doing this case that's like they, you know, it's it's this case involving, like, ritual abduction and sexual abuse of children. Right. Um, and so it's like this thing that's, like, bigger than themselves, this cosmic indifference, which is a big part of the mythos of King and Yellow and Lovecraft. It's just that, like, you are... You're indifferent to the cosmos. Cthulhu is... That's the thing about Cthulhu, right? It's... You learn one thing about him, it's that he's indifferent to you. He, you, right. you are nothing but a... You are nothing but a tiny tiny ant on a tiny tiny leaf floating out in the universe. And if Cthulhu were to sneeze and it destroyed your whole planet, it would mean nothing to him. Yeah. And so it's exploring that as like a horror concept is what is fun and it's creepy and scary. And True Detective truly wraps all those threads and just fucking does it perfect. Yeah. There's there's crime action. There's a great crime story. There's weird... Some people didn't like the ending of True Detective and how it kind of... Um,
1: people really wanted it to be something supernatural.
0: They wanted it to be something supernatural. They wanted it to be either 100% crime drama, but it did both, and it did both perfectly
1: and beautifully. I don't think that it could have been a supernatural ending, like because at the end of the day, that's what the story was about, was about actual crime. And I think now
0: that you know a little bit more about The King in Yellow... What are your thoughts on the characters of Rust and Marty, who kind of become obsessed with their version
1: of Carcosa? Right. Which is just catching this case. In a lot of ways, Rust puts on the mask, so to speak, of the King in Yellow. Astute point? Um, Because, you know, he's struggling with his health. Yeah. Throughout the entire thing. until They lose
0: their families. They lose everything.
1: They lose their tether to humanity. Right. It's it
0: really is now that you know so much about the Yellow King. When I go back, I kind of want to rewatch the True Detective again. It's it's the best King in Yellow adaptation ever. Because another big thing about the King in Yellow, and the mythos of Haster especially, is that he infects you. Yeah, and then some stuff happens to you, and it lies dormant for a long time, mm-hmm. and it comes back. Right, and that happens throughout that season. They. The the show also does time jumping, the best I've ever seen it done. A lot of shows try to do time jumping. Famously, the first season of The Witcher, which is an awful show, um, a fucking horrible show, and people who think it's good are fucking wrong. Um, It's stupid. I think now you all are realizing how right I was. (laughs) I was on the bad wagon from the beginning, saying The Witcher was the fucking horrible um, Lauren Hirsch and the entire
1: Netflix team sorry be, to say this but Art told you so uh,
0: you should all be fucking ashamed of yourselves you fucking hacks <laughs> uh, I hope you never oh write god. another piece of fucking television ever again um, take fucking notes from Nick Pizza Latte and um, but they tried to do time jumping and it's fucking awful yeah. True Detective does time jumping and it's fucking beautiful the acting is good, the writing is
1: good I mean oh my god Literally everybody that was in that did so such good. a good job. I mean, so good. The acting was so fucking good, and I, I just like there are still things that I think about in that show. Like, yeah, and I haven't watched it since originally, right? Like, I just think about that one episode where there's that shot at the end of Reggie Ledoux in that gas mask. Reggie Ledoux. Oh my god, it was so good, dude. So like, and they just it's That's the end of the episode. Like. Oh my It builds up. Cliffhangers were good, and then he just appears, and it like just holds on it for a second, and then the screen goes black. I mean, I was sitting at home going, "Oh my god, I I can't (laughs) wait!" Is is he looks like the kid from from I'm doing Home Alone? Alone. Yeah. I mean, talk about a kid with a shitty family, Kevin McAllister. But I mean, I'm like, oh my god, I can't wait to see what happens now. It's really, it is there. It is a true exploration of.
0: Two people falling deep into madness, chasing their paradise of Carcosa. Yeah. And I guess in the end, you have to decide for yourself as the viewer, did they escape or not? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not going to spoil it. I've spoiled some of it, but yeah. I really, if you haven't watched it yet, beefers, because there's still people out there who haven't watched it. It's a real masterpiece. It is a true, honest-to-God masterpiece. You don't have to watch season two or three, because they're totally different. Different casts, different stories. What was season three? Who was in that one? Um, Good actors, but... um, Oh, God. What's his fucking name? He was in Moonlight, and he was in...
1: He's been in so many good things. That theme song to the season two is, like, decent, though. Yeah. Leonard Cohen did it. We had T-Bone, right? What was his name? T-Bone King? T-Bone Burnett. T-Bone
0: Burnett? Doing the first season. Yeah. God, that, that was good, too. Down the dusty road. Yeah. on So good. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. Go watch it. Go go rewatch it. I kinda wanna rewatch it. Fuck, it's good. The Bible. Let's talk about the Bible. Okay. That's derivative from yep. the King in Yellow. The following is extracted from Haster and the King in Yellow by DJ Trier. Um so DJ wrote this and is comparing the King in Yellow to the Bible, right? Um okay. cuz you know, you got to think like where did where the fuck did Robert Chambers come up with this? It was the Bible. There is however one point especially interesting in light of Haisha the Shepherd that is often overlooked by commentators and writers alike. In addition to the oft alluded to the yellow sign, perhaps the most commonly referred to aspect of the mythos is the phrase, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God.
1: In the context of... That's the one that that gets said in the uh, Court of the Dragon. That's correct. Like when the guy goes to Carcosa. Exactly. In the context of the
0: theme of a blasphemous play culminating in the king's unmasking or not, this would seem to refer to the fate of those at the mask at at the mask with the king in yellow. Yet this evocative phrase is no invention of Chambers' fertile imagination. It is a quote of Hebrews 10.31, where it refers to the Christian God. If Hastur and the king in yellow are identical deities, as most commentators assume, we see that as Hastur parallels the Old Testament God in traits by being worshipped by shepherds and by a connection to a great flood, Chambers ceased to explicitly connect the king in yellow with the New Testament, God. Perhaps the fictional play was blasphemous not just for its immoral or disturbing content or for sending readers insane, but in a very literal sense. Could it be that the king in yellow presents a blasphemous, even inverted form of Christian belief? Or maybe it represents some extreme, even twisted version of millennial judgmental belief. The coming judgment... And the terrible fire consuming the earth being the predominant themes of Hebrews chapters ten from which the quote is drawn. What do
1: you think about that, Andy? You're a big Bible snob. <laughs> Love the you know, Bible. I'll be honest with you. I do think that there are a lot of biblical references that are anchored like like English literature is so anchored in the 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 terminology and the the language and the cadence and and, and the just the vocabulary of the King James Bible that in a lot of ways it's inescapable um and if you don't if you don't know the Bible it's a lot of illusion is really what it is you're missing some of the point it's inescapable yeah like the influence of the play the king King right. yellow right it all comes back Andy yeah
0: I think this is a really interesting take that I don't think jumps out at you in first read but If that's the case, if that's really where Robert Chambers drove a lot of his influence, that's a cool connection to make that there's this like the same way that the New Testament was this infection infecting the minds of people. Like even the play, The King in Yellow, Act One is normal, but Act Two drives people mad. Right. Well, that's like the Bible has two acts, right? We have Old Testament and New Testament. Super neat. I think that's a really cool argument and a...
1: Interesting thesis to make. Yeah. It's an interesting take. And honestly, it, um, you know, it's one of those things that it enriches the text. Yeah. And so if, you know, like that's the best writers, what they're like alluding to something that isn't just a reference to a thing, but it's like by your understanding of what they're saying, it adds richness to the text that couldn't otherwise be given with the words that they used. If that makes sense. Did that make sense? You're nodding your head, but I don't think you really made sense. It kind of did. It's it, like, it enhances what it's, they're talking about. It's like if, if if Chambers was meant to put something in there that was meant to trigger somebody's mind to say like, oh, this is like, I'm thinking about this in terms of he- Hebrews in the Bible. Like there's a depth that gets added to that, that Chambers would have to otherwise explain explicitly, which takes away from the rest of the text. So it's like there's a depth that you can add without even saying anything just by making this it's like a, not even a reference directly where it's just alluding to some other thing. And then you add this all on. So it's like, oh, well, people who understand, uh, then they understand like, oh, this is a play is some inverted form of Christianity or something.
0: Well, going off of that, Andy, what so now that you know a little bit more about the king in yellow, what what do you think is the meaning of the king in yellow?
1: <laughs> um what's your take? I don't know there's a strong um to me it's like there's a strong uh sense of fate. Mm. Like that runs through all of those four short stories where, you know, like you said, you can't it's almost like you can't outrun fate. Uh, or you can't outsmart it. Um, <laughs> I think there's a. It seems like there's a lot of like being careful about what you want because you might get it, like a monkey's paw. Yep. There's a lot of monkey's paw. Um, but what do I think it's trying to say? What's it trying to tell me? Like considering that it's in the future, some of them are in the future. Two of two of the stories. Like, I always think that these are probably more like cautionary tales. Yep. Like that Chambers is probably... Chambers is trying to warn us about behaviors that are detrimental to society. Yeah, I think on the surface, it it shows a story about, you know, like
0: the power of that creator's hold. Right. And then I think uh, reading some other commentators, like what they have said about it, it's like, you know, hey, you, if you're someone who's putting works out there, you need to... And this is probably where we come back into it. Like, boy, we're where we might. I think we have to answer the question like, are we kings in yellows? Because what they're saying is you need to be careful about what you're putting out there into the world because you might be infecting people with hatred and madness <laughs> and malice. Right. And it's your job to like as a creator to be careful what you wish for and put out there. You might. People might be infected by what you put out there. And, you know, are we rotting the minds of people? Maybe. I don't right. know. Are we kings in yellow, Andy?
1: Uh, yeah, pretty much. I would say so. We are kings. We live in a place that can't be found. <laughs> yeah, the bunker. I think we are, dude. Um, we live in
0: our own version of Carcosa, yellow we're king. Both,
1: both fucking pale. Um, <laughs> gross to look at. Horrible. You know, we have a corrupt. We bring people down. People. The topics that we choose to cover, people are interested in, and we do such a terrible job yep. with it that they end up wishing they had never thought of it before. So yeah, I do think we're Kings in Yellow. Man. What a reveal. Feels good to be the king. <laughs> Feels good to be king, baby. kings of us the kings. Yellow Kings. Bye. Yellow Kings.
0: Well, whether or not you Burger agree kings, with that or not the um Bunker Kings, bye. Um, bunkosa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to bunk fuck you. I'm going to bunk fuck you. Who the fuck walks that slow? I'm going to skull bunk you. <laughs> You're getting a whole
0: enchilada you.
1: straight through your skull
0: bunk. You know, in prison, people in prison don't take very kindly to people who consume the whole enchilada. You might want to think about killing yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah, for any of you beavers out there, if you're getting arrested and going to prison, enchilada we'll the
0: enchilada is a fucking flat circle. It's a flat noodle. No, they're not. It's not lasagna. No, it's before you. It's a tortilla
1: before you roll it up. It is a flat circle.
0: That's true. Oh my god, it is.
1: The whole enchilada is a flat circle, man. Just rolled up on its ends. <laughs>
0: Holy fuck. I think we are Kings in Yellow. I think that's what we discovered. Um This has been a real eye-opening episode. If anything, though, the King in Yellow is an incredible framework for storytelling, and particularly horror storytelling. I mean, I don't know why Hollywood hasn't jumped to remake some of these
1: stories as actual horror
0: stories. I'm sure they have, but like
1: really do them big, you know? What uh what's been the um like how is Chambers work viewed By people now, obviously, like, Lovecraft was heavily influenced by these stories. uh, And Nick Pizzolatto was, Pizzolatte. What do, like, what do, like, other literary scholars feel about this mercurial book authored by Chambers? Oh, I mean, it's
0: heavily influential in a lot of things, right? In a lot of games, movies... Mm -hmm tv horror Mm um you know i'm sure i didn't really look any of that up but just (laughs) because there's a lot there's so much of it right i kind of focus on true detective just because i think it's the best um but i wouldn't be surprised if famous creators like guillermo del toro would say yeah of course i was influenced by the king in yellow and lovecraft and other things like Mm -hmm. who, who wasn't you know it's or stephen king or some of these others um i wouldn't be surprised and and even if they weren't i think subconsciously they were because of just like i said what a great framework this story is it's it's just taking that idea of that fear of the unknown and just it's a fun framework to play with that there's this paradise it's unachievable paradise that the more you go towards it the matter you get um Fuck. I mean, you can look at Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory as a interpretation of the King in Yellow. There's so many ways to interpret it. Yeah. Right? All these people go mad with greed and jealousy and all this shit because they want what Wonka has. You know, obviously I think Willy Wonka is maybe a little bit more of a positive spin on it because in the end Charlie gets the factory because he is of good heart and good spirit. But um that's the big joke about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is this
1: this motherfucker is like killing children along the way and we're all just laughing about it. Is Carcosa a real paradise or is, do people just think that it's paradise and it's actually not? Nobody knows. It's whatever you think.
0: In a lot of the role playing games that I've been into lately that play that like Call of Cthulhu or Delta Green um, that deal with either King in Yellow Scenarios or Hasturian Mythos um, it could be either. Carcosa can be a real place, and there's mechanics. or there's it's thought of that Hastor is this evil deity that lives in some other dimension, some other place in space-time, mm-hmm. maybe around the star of Aldebaran, maybe not. Maybe it's just a deity that lives in time. And um, Hastor can, um recontextualize the very atoms around you make you feel as though you're living a different reality Mm. than the one you are living. Um, So famously, this will manifest itself in... um, rooms that have more... uh, like apartments that have more rooms than they should. Things like that. Like, altering reality around you. And space and time. And letting you live almost in this sort of opium den of ignorance and decadence and achieving your dreams. That's why I think The King in Yellow is so often associated with artists. But that's why I think True Detective is just such a perfect retelling because they're not artists, they're detectives. But they're obsessed with... Achieving their version of Carcosa which is not a real one but also given how we know about the story could be real could not be real um, you know they're obsessed with with this case to the point of it just ruins their lives yeah and they look back on their lives and they think like oh fuck did we d-? you know they their their lives are traumatic the characters in the true detective and you know they chase their version of Carcosa which wasn't real. It was a case. Yeah. I just think that's such an interesting framework for storytelling. So many different ways you can mold this story of, it's just human obsession, right? Yeah. Or just, yeah, be careful what you put out there. I mean, look at Fahrenheit 451, look at, um, a lot of different works from Ray Bradbury. Look at different, um, shit, Star Trek shit. It's been influenced by the King in Yellow. I think the King in Yellow might even show up in an episode of Star Trek. I'm not sure. Wow. Um, It's everywhere, man. I think it's ubiquitous. Damn. It's horror at its finest. Yeah. So I guess... Good job, Chambers. Good job, us, Andy. We're kind of podcasting at its finest, don't you
1: think? Yeah, I would say we've kind of hit the apex.
0: I mean, we discovered, I think, over the course of the episode that we're kind of kings in yellow. We're kind of Hesterian figures. Mm -hmm. We... Put this thing out there with no remorse for how it infects people's lives. And it leads people down a path that is dark and full of madness. But the struggles of other
1: people mean nothing to us. Means nothing to us. Because we're, we're self-absorbed. We could be less. We could not be less concerned about the struggle of others.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, kudos to us. Yeah, good for us. Um, we're awesome. We're fucking Chad as hell. We're more Boris than we thought. We are Boris. We
0: are Boris. We are Boris. Bum-ba-dum-bum. Now you're a statue. (laughs) Bum-ba-bum-bum. I'm dead. Well, Andy, I think it's about time we ship off to Kirkosa. Yellow King, bye. Kirkosa. Kirkosa, Yellow King, bye. Um, cool. And say goodbye to friend of the podcast, Matt Cochran. Thanks. Bye, Matt Cochran. (laughs) Matt Cochran,
1: the Yellow King. Thank you. Bye. Um... I'll probably get a text from Matt after this uh episode yeah. airs. I'm friends with s- Matt
0: on Steam. He better fucking send me a message. Where
1: he'll say Yellow King.
0: Matt, if you listen to the show and you don't message me on Steam Yellow King, <laughs> I'm gonna be
1: fucking pissed, dude. I'm gonna block you. Yellow king. Yellow king, bye. I got something not that long ago from Matt in the mail, and it literally the It was either yellow it king. said Yellow King on the Oh my god. Like in the card inside. Maybe he's the real yellow king. He might be the Yellow King. I mean, I just would believe it. He's got kind of a mysterious past. He does. I don't know anything about Matt. Mm-mm, but he does have a big cowboy hat. Big
0: cowboy hat. Maybe instead of a mask, he wears a hat. <laughs> Yellow King. Yellow King, boy. Howdy, it's me. You're the Yellow King. Howdy, Park. Yellow King. <laughs> Howdy, Carcosa. <Kirkusa. laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's a cool way to tell Yellow King stories through a Texas oilman. Yeah. King of the hill. Yellow King of the Hill. Yellow King of the Hill! God damn it, Bobby. Quit going to Carcosa. (laughs) But, Dad, Hester calls to me. He sent me this sign. God damn it, Bobby. Quit trying to quit trying to live in an alternate reality where you (laughs) live in Paradise of Carcosa.
1: Not possible. (laughs) <laughs> Yellow King of the Hill. Bobby, do you literally know anybody who's made it to Carcosa <laughs> and been satisfied? That boy ain't right. He's all pale. Like a mask.
0: Um, well, Andy, I think, you know, we've been, uh, I don't know how many minutes we've used because I, I don't, I never really learned how to tell time. But um, I think we owe Bunker
1: some money. <laughs> we should probably head out. Yeah, I think we were here for like five minutes or so. Yeah. It was a short one. It was a short one. Five minutes. Really short topic. Bite size. Yeah, bite size topic.
0: But um
1: Yeah, I don't know. What do you say we uh we up? Yeah, we up? get that out of here, I suppose. Um well, You me. like Low Oh, I love Low Main. Good, there's a place over on Main Street that's great Low Main.
0: So stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I had a big plate of Chinese food yesterday. Oh my god, it was so good! What? Oh my god! For, what was it? Dim sum, sesame beef, spicy uh, this like spicy chicken, and then um, damn, this isn't Chinese. It's udon noodles, but they had like this sh- slow roasted short rib with like a like a mushroomy oyster sauce. Yum! And udon noodles. Oh my god, What? was fucking- Wow. Talk about, I was in my own Carcosa. Let's say, how about we end on that? That what's, What was your, your Carcosa of last week? Were <laughs> you ever own, in Carcosa? My own personal Carcosa of last week? Your own personal Carcosa. Carcosa. That was mine. I was eating Chinese food and watching movies. Fuck, what was my personal
1: Carcosa? Um... One night, I slept for six hours straight. Wow. That's Carcosa, baby. You dreamed of Carcosa. And it was just a dream. Because yeah. then I woke up. And you had woke up and get back to your life. I was in Carcosa, though.
0: Well, Bunk bunkers, Carcosa email Bunker. us. Yeah. Carcosa, bye.
1: MrBunkerPod at gmail.com. Let
0: us know what's your own personal Carcosa. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on The King in Yellow? Um, we'd love to hear your interpretation of it. And what you think about True Detective um Send us in there, MrBunkerPod at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at MrBunkerPod and Twitter. And if you feel so inclined, you have the means to do so. There is the Patreon where you can get a back catalog of awesome bunker. Hundreds of hours. Shit. Hundreds hundreds of hours.
1: Hundreds of hours. I mean, we can't tell time, but I think there's hundreds of thousands of hours. By my reckoning, if you listen to all the content that's mm-hmm. on the Patreon, uh, the world would end. Yep. If you just listen to it back to back to back. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I agree, Andy. And um,
0: <laughs> no, I wasn't doing anything. Uh, <laughs> no, I agree. So there's a lot of fun yeah, stuff yeah, there. Yeah, but yeah. um, well, Andy, I mean, we gotta we gotta ship off from we the gotta Lake of Holly. And we gotta get out of here. Get out of fucking Carcosa. This is you can't stay us Carcosa so much forever because you get lost here and then your soul is fucking trapped. Yeah. So for uh, I mean, like, yeah, not the titular Mr. Bunker. Like, not at all. I have no reason to him because we fucking he didn't fucking up. do anything Um, but for my exacerbate Ed. exacerbated co-host oh god I'm exacerbating he's exacerbating right in front of me oh and he heard I'm our stone saying that was a whole enchilada oh I'm gonna <laughs> exacerbate oh oh car goes yellow king! Who <laughs>
2: Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the Cosmopolis to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a -a three-times-a-week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested